Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey, Holly. Hey, Dave. What's happening today on the What Difference Does It Make podcast? Today is a blue chip day on the What Difference Does It Make podcast. Oh, I like that. It is blue chip. Yeah. We've got a blue chip artist. He's been around for a long time. Steve Diggle of the Buzzcocks. Yes. He's someone I've been a fan of for a very long time. It's a thrill. You know, I was first discovering punk. This was a guy. He was it. He was the dude. He, he was, was the, the dude. He was one of the the original dudes. So yeah, we're going to talk to the original dude. This is Steve Diggle of the Buzzcocks. He talked for a long time, so Holly's going to chop up a lot of this stuff and put it up on YouTube. Is that correct? That is correct. So check out the outtakes on YouTube at What Difference Does It Make podcast, and you'll hear some good Steve Diggle stories. Indeed you will. The reason we're talking with Steve is they've got uh, the Buzzcocks have a new album that's coming out. And it's called Sonics in the Soul. Even though Pete Shelley's not around, as you'll hear in this interview, he keeps the memory of Pete alive, and it's really very touching. So why don't we get right into this talk? This is Steve Diggle of the Buzzcocks on the What Difference Does It Make podcast. Hello, man. Can you hear me? I can hear. We can hear. Where are you? (laughs) Home in London in my garden. (laughs) All right. I'm at the back bit of it. I mean, it's a long garden, but I'm at the strip of it. The punk bit. My little shed where I do some work. <laughs> but the garden goes on a long way. <laughs> the back end of the garden, and there's my little hillbilly shed there from Hicksville. Oh, nice. Uh, this is where I retreat away. <laughs> That's so nice. I wrote a lot of the songs in that garden, in that little shed there. Mm. Even though I have a music room in the house, but, uh, <laughs> you know, it's more organic doing it like that. Yeah. <laughs> Inspired by the outdoors. You've been there for a while? No, I just raced back from the pub, actually. I had to go for a stroll for a while, so I just called in the pub for a little while. I ain't been there too long. <laughs> and I've dashed back to do this. Thank you. Welcome back. Oh, oh no. I mean, I mean, for like, how long have you owned this, this uh, property, your house? Oh, about 30 years. Oh, is that? Okay. okay. Did Harmony in your head buy this house? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Probably worth a million dollars or more. Not too bad.
You know, we're Americans, so I want to make sure 40 degrees Celsius is... I think it might be 110. Yeah, that's an average day in LA or Texas, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> Fahrenheit, yeah. yeah. I mean, it really is. It is hot, but it's okay. I guess so, because you're doing this outside. I mean, what the hell, man? What the... All right, I'm already so, sitting in air conditioning. Right, yeah, I know. If I see st- if I start seeing sweat stains from you, we'll we'll. Uh, we'll... I did my base training tour in America for years, you know, so I, I get it. Yeah, was in seventy seven, seventy eight. When did uh, when when was your first U.S. tour of duty? About seventy eight, yeah. But I remember going to L.A. and it was like one hundred and four degrees. That was you know things like that, and Texas and stuff. And, you know, it's hot, yeah. Everyone in England is always surprised at the at how huge the United States actually is. Is that uh, what you found? Like, how, how big is this country? Actually, it's small when you go around for two or three months. Yeah. <laughs> I yeah. found it is a big country, too. But, I mean, we used to fly everywhere in the early days, 78. We were forever running to the airports. Oh, okay. Then we tried it on the tour buses. And the thing was then that um, you'd start off, like, in Florida and then, by the time you got to Niagara Falls, it'd be raining, and you know you'd step out of the tour bus in a t-shirt, and it'd be like, "Fuck, you need, you need like a, a park or something." You know, it's freezing here. You used to see all the different elements, you know, on a two-month tour all the way around. Then you get to LA, and it was all sunny again, and Frisco and stuff. Every time you stepped out of the tour bus, you didn't know what weather you was going to get. <laughs> Where did you play in Los Angeles? Well, we played lots of places. Um, Santa Monica Civic in the early days. Yeah. Yeah, like, like that's where uh, Bowie played a long time ago. You know. That's yeah. right. Yeah. My- and I remember passing there and thinking Elvis Costello was playing the Whiskey of Gogo. And I thought, when are we going to play? And suddenly we turned up with a Santa Monica Civic. Somebody actually smashed the front window there and they said, we'll never play there again. <laughs> it wasn't awful. <laughs> um, but we actually did. But yeah, Bowie played there, didn't he, and stuff like that. We did the Palace one time and then immediately after we did... Uh, the Johnny Depp Club, you know, little Jess did a vapor room. Yeah, it was when River Phoenix had just died. Yeah, it was a heavy night. Yeah, <laughs> but it was kind of a nice, interesting night. Then. Really, was it that same around that same time? It was a few weeks after River Phoenix had just oh. died. I think. Wow. Okay. I think we got the best cocaine that night. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Better. Yeah, the bad stuff. <laughs> the <laughs> of course. That's what Johnny told me. <laughs> <laughs> so many, many happy memories of LA, you know, things like that. You know. And Santa Monica Civic is bigger than the whiskey. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. You were a much bigger band than Elvis Costello, bigger yeah, artist. Exactly, yeah, yeah. You just kind of think they kind of went over early in the police. And mm-hmm. I remember when we first got to the states in New York, they're going, "What do you think of these punk bands?" And it's like, "Well, the police and Elvis Costello had just left the Sex Pistols and the Clash," and so it seemed a little bit weird, you know. Of course, on that tour, we did the Irving Plaza the first gig. There were two nights there, and the Ramones turned up, which was a great honor, actually. They kind of said, we do these kind of, well, they do them linear ones, and they said, you go off on these little, you know, tangents and little bits in the songs. That's amazing, man. But it was a great honor for the Ramones to be there on your first time in the States. Mm. So they were the ambassadors for you guys? Well, it was just like, 
when we started, their album had come out just as we was making our record, the Spiral Scratch, the early record. Mm-hmm. And uh, we find, well, you know, that inspired us at Ramon's record, like it did almost everybody, really. It's like suddenly there they are, you know. Telling <laughs> us we put all the bits and pieces in there. <laughs> it's not just straight ahead, you know. They liked all the little bits, you know. It seems fitting. Um, yeah, and, you know, it, it was kind of like, it kind of full, come full circle really quick, you know, saying, well, we heard your album, yeah. but it it wasn't just that inspired us. It was probably Bowie and Brian, you know, all kinds of people, really, you know. I, I do remember that about the first tour, and like I say, by the time we got to LA, it sounded more like a Civic, you know. <laughs> well, what was that, who, was, who else was on that bill? Do you remember? Like, who did you guys play with? You know, I can't remember because, well, I always thought, you don't take America, America takes you, you know? We did many tours, <laughs> and Tim Bowie himself had to get out of town, didn't he, after a while? And we embraced America and loved it, and they, we, we took about two years to come to the States because we had about eight or ten hits over here on the Top of the Pops TV show, and we was doing Europe, and we was asked to go to America. And, uh, but, we, 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 you know, it was there were all these things going on over here, so it took us two years, so... When we did come, people had been waiting two years, really. Yeah. You know, it did work out right, you know. Yeah. Hence the Santa Monica Civic was quite euphoric and amazing for us, you know, first time in America. The great thing is I think they got the bus comps right away, which was good, you know. What they did, love, they said, you, you've got to kick ass in America, you've got to rock, you've got to race the game kind of thing. And, uh, and we did, we embraced that, you know. That's what I loved about it. it was, America at that time, it, it wasn't... Like Britain and Europe, it can be a little bit, bit finicky, or you know, arty and all that, which which is all the cool thing. But in America, if you get out and rock there proper, then you know that kind of works. And I kind of love that thing. It's it's a bit more organic and straight to the point, you know, as well as the arty bits. But um, there was something great about that and and those those tours. You know. Do you remember doing radio promotion? Remember oh, yeah. any radio promotion when you were here? Yeah, but I remember the first interview. The guy said, um, "You're called the Buzzcocks. You'll never. What? What is that kind of thing? It's different here than it is there. Yeah. Well, you know, you're going. Is it a bird or is it some kind of sexual vibration or something? <laughs> a buzzcock? What is it? You know. And we'd kind of joined two words out of the paper. It was a review of a TV show, and. Um, it said, have a good hyphen cock. So we put the two words together and buzzcocks, but there wasn't such a thing as a buzzcock, you know. But as Plato said, by giving something name, something the name of something, therefore it gives definition. So I think we define the name, you know what I mean? But um, we were sure we wouldn't get anywhere in America with a name like that. <laughs> Because of the name Buzzcocks, or because you had a song "Orgasm Addict," was there you you weren't going to get much radio airplay, or or was there pressure like we okay we got to we got to get a hit in America? We've got hits in the UK. Did you want a hit in the US? <laughs> we was, I just remember that, you know your first sort of interview. I, I wish I could remember the station. It's somewhere in New York. <laughs> he said. I gotta tell you, Steve, with a name like that, you're not gonna get far in America. <laughs> <laughs> and somebody told me, do you know what? Maybe we will now you've said that, you know, because <laughs> right. 
But it, kids are going to buzzcock. You can't say that on the radio, you know. Some sexual device or this, this thing. But, oh, this kind of thing. It's like, don't worry, you know. It's, uh, but, uh, yeah, there was that. And then, of course, along came the first single on a major label, United Artist, and uh, it was all gasomatic. You're looking for a hit? <laughs> I think you're doing it all wrong, son. Well, you tried it just for once, found it all right for kicks. But now you find out that it's a habit that sticks and you're on all gasomatics. You're on all gasomatics. Sneaking in the back door with dirty magazines. So your mother wants to know what all the stains on your jeans. And you're on all gasomatics. You're on all gasomatics. But you still keep a beat and you meet to pulp and you're on all gasomatics. You're on all gasomatics. You're kicking Sonova, you're a no chose epitza. Live on a fucking yourself to death. All gasomatics. You're on all gasomatics. Uh huh. Uh huh. Uh huh. Uh huh. Uh huh. Uh huh. But I mean, we was following the flow. I mean, we. You know, we were 20 years old. We, everybody knew what an orgasm was, surely. Yeah, right. <laughs> and I think it was probably inspired by something out of uh, William Burroughs' book to start with, you know. <laughs> but the release date over here for that, we were suddenly told it's, it's got to be put back because the record label had to negotiate with a pressing plant that they said we won't print this felt, you know. Really? Orgasm addicts and stuff. You know, we had to try and explain to him it was kind of poetry, you know. Right. <laughs> and an orgasm is, you know, a <laughs> fundamental biological thing of what, you know, perhaps it's all based on a lot of it <laughs> in the world. But it's an actual so, word. It's not even slang. <laughs> no, exactly. I mean, I can't remember they told me about orgasms at school, but, you know, everybody knew what one was. <laughs> it wasn't like it was shocking anybody, really, but it did kind of, you know... They wouldn't press the record, it was delayed and all that. Hence, you got all them things in the punk days, and it was probably a different world then in terms of what you could say or how explicit or something. But the great thing about that, and there's many people still come to the shows now that go, when I was 16, I bought that record, Orgasm Addicts. I was playing upstairs, and my folks had come running up. What the fuck are you listening to up there? Orgasm Addicts? Turn, the amount of people have come backstage and said, you know, the folks have gone banging on their bedroom door, turn that filth off. So <laughs> she knew you were doing something right. Yeah. Well, yeah. <laughs> and it was a, you know, biology lesson as well, wasn't it? <laughs> <laughs> Maybe if anybody didn't know what it was that bought the record, they could find out. Yeah. Right. <laughs> In their yeah. own time. <laughs> Educational. <laughs> yeah. Educational, yeah. Never thought about it at the time, but yeah, you know, it would have been, yeah. <laughs> that was the kind of nature back in 76, 77, that kind of thing, you know, with all that. Everything was shocking, it seemed, didn't it? Steve Diggle of the Buzzcocks is the person we're talking to. We're going to take a break right now and be right back. Hello, Pantheon Podcast listeners. Christian Swain here to tell you more about my experience with Raycon earbuds. Our family now has three pairs of Raycon earbuds around the house. And my wife just grabbed a pair of the headphone pros to replace some headphones from a company that was double the price. And yes, she loves them. 
Now, if you haven't pulled the trigger on a pair of Raycons, or even if you have, but you're in the market for another pair because they're just that good, well, now is the time to check them out because they just launched their upgraded model of the best-selling everyday earbuds. With Raycon's upgraded everyday earbuds, now you also get active noise cancellation, ergonomic design, and multi-point connectivity that lets you pair with two devices at once. New quick charge function, three customizable sound styles plus awareness mode, available in a variety of vibrant new colors to complement any and all skin tones. I even have a pair of earbuds in a cool green color. I have tried just about every earbud known to humankind, and these Raycons are fantastic. Seriously, if you've been wanting to check out Raycons, there truly is no better time. You're going to ask yourself why you didn't check them out sooner, and Raycon offers a 30-day happiness guarantee. So what are you waiting for? Go to buyraycon.com slash pantheon today to get 20% off your Raycon order, plus free shipping. That's right. You'll get 20% off and free shipping at buyraycon.com slash pantheon. Buyraycon.com slash pantheon. Welcome back to the What Difference Does It Make podcast and our guest, Steve Diggle of the Buzzcocks. With the, the Pistols had toured earlier, did they, did like Steve Jones come back to you and tell you, oh my God, America, because they toured the South. Did he give you a warning? Like, okay, don't do this, don't do that. Be careful of this. <laughs> or no, or just do whatever you got to do. <laughs> we're from Manchester. It's like coming from New Jersey or something. Like, <laughs> that won't freak us out. You know, we did those shows in the early days. We brought the Pistols to Manchester and opened up from, you know. Mm-hmm. And it was kind of amazing because... I remember this, the, the elevator door opening, and they fell out like a glamorous New York Dolls. Well, in Manchester, you know, it was, um, nobody had seen things like that, really. You know, they were sort of bright and colourful against this great backdrop, you know. It was like being in Milwaukee or something, you know what I mean? <laughs> or Michigan or something. It's like, fuck, nobody dresses like that around here, you know. It's not safe, you know. By the time we got to America, I didn't see them for now. But um, I just remember it. when we got there, we, we loved it. And probably like by a, seeing Bowie tour America and the Beatles and the Stones, all that kind of thing. Because growing up with the American writers, Jack Kerouac and all that kind of stuff, it's like, we want to go to America and want it to be a bit crazy. <laughs> and just the cold Jack thing, of that classic steam on the streets, all that, you know. <laughs> <laughs> right. I mean, that was very romantic okay. in the you know early seventies, pre-punk and stuff. So there was all that. But the amazing thing is, it's like I think Buzzcocks had a good connection with the American audiences. You know, they was kind of ready for us, and uh, that was a great thing. And I think they kind of understood what we were doing. You know, they was into it, and uh, that was an amazing thing because it's like we're going to America. A lot of bands go there, a lot of things, but they didn't embrace us, and we embraced the states as well and loved it hence we went there a lot of times as much as we could you know and we had some great shows there lots of them are you going to be coming to the states you've got you know as we've got an you've got an album you're still you're still kicking man i love it uh you got sonics in the soul that's coming out uh september 
But you're, you're starting to play some shows. And, and actually, I was looking at the set list. You're playing a, a number of songs from this album. Yeah, it's been quite amazing because um, pre-COVID, we did 11 shows and we had a single out then called Got to Get Better and Destination Zero, the B-side, which I think's better. We did about 11 shows and we had a, a West Coast tour booked for March. And then they announced the COVID thing in February. So that kind of got cancelled. And then, of course, we did, we've all done the two years of the COVID business or the isolation of the year but we've been doing shows over here and I thought to keep the relevance of the Buzzcocks you don't just want to be doing the old classic stuff even though we do quite a lot we need to do the new stuff so we've actually got um, three songs in the set at the moment sometimes on the encore if this time we'll put another extra one in so four new songs off a new albums you know quite good going and it's been received really well you know it kind of fits in with all the other stuff not many can do that. Normally, you know, when you announce a, a new song, people go, it's time to go to the bar, you know. But um, these songs are good and work, and it seems like the Buzzcocks now, if you see what I mean. So it feels better for me and feels like it gives it some relevance to actually keep moving forward with the stuff, you know. And a lot of these shows we've been doing, I thought, these, none of these guys have heard any of these new songs, you know. They've heard the single, obviously, they, they, they get that now. But there were two songs in the set, and sometimes the extra one we do, they've not heard, and they've been going down really well, which is kind of really heartening, you know. And actually, you know, I mean, they're like real highlights of the set now, in a way. So that's a kind of good test, I think, you know what I mean? It's kind of... If the new songs are working, it's we're going in the right direction somewhere, yeah. Yeah, so recording them, do you feel like we need to, would, would Pete Shelley uh, like this? Is this something Pete would say, you know, is this Buzzcocks worthy? I mean, what, what was your criteria for putting out songs and, you know, making sure that it's buzz, it, it is a Buzzcocks song? It probably says a lot of shit now. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you've got to remember, me and Pete were together 43 years. I was devastated when he died. He, he actually came into with the last couple of shows we did just before he died. He said to me, I'm thinking of retiring, you carry on. So it's almost like he was passing me the bat. And I said, You ain't going nowhere. We've got things to do. Right. Sadly, he died. And, uh, you know, you know, the first year was very heartbreaking and very tough to deal with, you know. And he kind of still is because he was like my brother and kind of drinking partner, with it, you know, socially. It wasn't just like a, a, a member of a group or something. So we exchanged a lot. And um, we exchanged a lot on the records. You know, like everybody's happy nowadays. That's my riff. 
I'd send him, take that riff away, it's half a song, you know. That's how it worked with us with stuff. And he sang my song Promises. I said, that was a political song about the government. You put a verse in and made it a love song. What are you doing? <laughs> <laughs> so, we, you know, we had that, those kind of interaction things. That, uh, but suddenly it was COVID and uh, the lockdown. And uh, I thought, well, there's nothing else to do. Might as well start working on an album. And I couldn't listen to any bus contract. If I heard Pete's voice, it'd break my heart. You know, I'd be in tears, bits. Whoa, I can't. It was too raw. But I remembered elements of what we do, you know, not having played on every bus contract and stuff. So I thought, I'll bring some of that with me and try and take it a little bit forward. Because I th think some ways it's like a bridge album. Because I always said to people, we need to go, I want to go in different areas, which we kind of did. When you think of songs like Why Can't Touch It, which was my groove, by the way, and songs like Autonomy, I was trying to push it in different areas rather than just the linear straight ahead one. There was that, and, um, I think on some levels, this is a bit, a little bit internal because of the lockdown. I want to get a little bit internal with this album as well, not just hourly point. With the singles uh, censored out of control, halfway through writing the album, I had a flashback to when we started, the first day we started at the first rehearsal. And I thought, that'll never happen again. You know, we, it, we what an amazing journey we've had and that. So. It sends out control. I want to make it a bit like with a little flavour of Spiral Scratch and a, a little bit of love for all the guys that were in the band then and how we started, you know. So halfway through the album, I thought, let's make an, a song like at the beginning, you know. So that was one element of it. And then we went on a song called Manchester Rain, which will be the next single. And I, I was doing a show at, um, in Manchester and it was pouring with rain, and I was just about going to the stage door, and there's these young kids there and saying, Steve, can you sign this for me now? And I looked at them, and they said, we're, 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 we're signing a band. And I thought, that was me 40 years ago, mm -hmm. you know, with all your hopes and dreams and all this, or what am I going to do with my life? You know, all that kind of stuff. All them fundamental questions. You know? And then somehow that song Manchester Rain came up. Star 
So I thought, that was me standing in the Manchester rain. Mm. But it could be any rain. It could be Milwaukee rain. It could be... <laughs> Doesn't sound as romantic. Yeah. Well, it's a metaphorical rain, really. It's just standing in that when the world's against you, or you're 20 years old, or you're 18, and you're wondering what you're going to do in life and what you're going to do, you know. And you see folks all getting married and having kids and going, well, I'm not sure about that. <laughs> <laughs> I think somebody's selling me a dream. I don't want to join it right now. You know, all that kind of thing. It's like, where are you going to fit in in life? So it's an important thing how we find ourselves in the end, or at least tolerate some kind of life that, you know, we can get by with. But it's like, all them things, you have the hopes and dreams, or you're kind of thinking of. And it wasn't about, that song's not about being successful in music or something. It's just about finding yourself, hence getting back to your soul and getting back to Plato, going, what is this stuff inside that we can't explain? It's just that for anybody out there, you know, it's a universal statement. Standing in the rain, it could be standing in any rain anyway. Probably in Seattle rain, that'll go down there, there won't it? Yeah, all right. right. That came to me on a plate in terms of those kids, and I thought, there's that as well. So there's some reflective internal things on this. There's a lovely song called Bad Dreams on there that I like, which mm. is kind of like the artist holding a mirror up to. Because I think if, if you're listening to that, you, it's kind of reflecting your own soul. It's, it's a hypnotic track, a bit trance, mm. and a bit crowd rock experimentation. It's that classic Buzzcocks chug. Someone, but now they're gone Having bad dreams Just so hard to take it Hard to find Burning in my mind Things I've seen Like from outer space, yeah I think you can get lost in yourself and hopefully it reflects something inside you where you can think about yourself as the song to who am I, what am I, and all that kind of stuff. Like the having yeah. bad dreams but now they're gone, is that self-doubt? Yeah, I mean, the guitarist said to me, the great line about that is, but now they're gone. And I thought, oh, yeah, you're right, because it's like we all know about the bad dreams, but I'm not trying to describe me some nightmare. It's just the simple line of going, but now they're gone, which is the release, isn't it? It's like, yeah, they do come with old dreams, you know, <laughs> the bad ones. And I never thought about it that way, really. I mean, kind of mildly, but when he said it's, it's an external listener and not me writing it, it's like, yeah, you're right. It just simply dispels that idea of it's doom and gloom in it. And it's a hypnotic song, and I think you can find yourself in that song or you can get lost in your own. And a kind of classic Buscock's bit of flavour to it, really, that kind of chug, you know. That's true. One of your guitar players, you've got three new members. And I mean, there's, well, actually, you've got one one new player, but you've got a, what, what is the process of finding a new buzzcock? <laughs> <laughs> well, that's what I thought. I thought, fuck, how can we replace Pete Shelley or find somebody else as disturbed and misunderstood as we are? <laughs> mm -hmm. <laughs> or whatever. 
think we once I thought I'm going to have to audition around four or five guitar players at least. You can get a great guitar player, but it can be a pain in the ass, and you've got trouble on planes and think, you know, as a person. There's all kinds of things that make up the chemistry. It's not just the music. So, but um, I simply phoned a guy down the road. I said, I'm looking for a guitar player. My first call. He said, no, the guy, and the guy actually lives down the road from me. <laughs> and so it just works out perfect. I can't believe it. I thought I'd have to go for a lot. You know? Having said that, he's not on this album. I mean, because we had to start to turn it around quick at the time, and it was kind of like, I know how the Buzzcocks guitar rhythms go and the, the riffs go. And I had 14 songs, and I thought, I can't be bothered learning them, because he's only going to be playing what I'm playing, because I don't know what riffs I'm going to in the studio. The exciting thing for me is I come up with a lot of the riffs, you know, the spontaneity, the spur of the moment. It's kind of like getting in bed with a woman for the first time. You get that apprehension and that, ooh, you know. <laughs> and you kind of get that going, fuck, I'll try this riff. And you might have to roll the tape three times, but by the third time, I've got it. That's the riff. And suddenly it's there, you know, so... There's that excitement when I couldn't teach anybody that. So the bass player and drummer came in for two days, banged the rhythm tracks, and I didn't see him for months. And in between the gigs, I just went in and did the guitars and the vocals. They were done in two days. And we also had two producers who couldn't make it for one reason or the other. So the manager said, why don't you produce it, Steve, with Lawrence, the guy that owns the studio? So I did, and we've got now a, a great producing combo, me and him. That all happened by mistake. So you guys are kind of movie buffs in, in a way. I think it uh, wasn't ever falling in love. That was from watching a musical, uh, Guys and Dolls, right? Yeah. Mm. Yeah, we was in a hotel room watching that, really stoned, and Pete Shelley said, that's a great line. <laughs> <laughs> and the rest is history. Yeah. It's amazing, it? And Oddball Land was in a weird little hotel in Scotland, and that line just appeared out of the whole movie. <laughs> Love it. I don't know if you played this. I have to ask you about the, the two-note guitar solo. Was that Howard or was that you? No, that was Pete. That was Pete. Oh, that was Pete who did that. Oh, wow. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> now, when he did that, what was your reaction? Like, what, what is, what's happening? You've got to remember just before that there was Jimmy Page and Richie Blackmore, right? <laughs> yeah. Yep. And it's like, okay, we're doing this song boredom. <laughs> and here's the solo. It's like, really? <laughs> ba-dum, ba-dum. But uh, that caught people's imagination, that minimalist stuff, you know. That was kind of weird. Yeah, I remember him doing that. Then he threw the guitar down and the top half broke. So he became known for this half guitar in the early days. In a bit of a chaotic frenzy of noise, threw the guitar down, the top half of it broke off. And they picked it up and carried on playing. And um, 
that became a unique for, thing for him. So amazing things, these artistic things or these yeah. natural things that happened there. And played the two-note guitar solo, you know. On the B-side of Senses Out of Control, there's two songs on there, the back of that. And one of them's called Hope Heaven Loves You, which is my song to Pete Shelley, you know. Mm. And it says in that, played with a broken guitar and a two-note lift solo, you know. Oh, that's wonderful. As I was doing this album in, in the song, obviously it was still in my heart and mind. And I thought, you know what? And it just kind of came out. I should write a song for Pete. And, and if I was consciously sat down and wrote that, it would have been very difficult really to, what can I write about him? Because I knew him so well, you know? But that came out and it's kind of simple, but to the point really. You know? mm. But he does mention that two note guitar riff thing, you know, which, blew people's minds at the time. It was like, wow, that was two notes, you know. <laughs> yeah. But, but there's other interesting things about the bus called trips. I, I bought a guitar for five pounds from a, before I was in a band when I was 16. And every time I tuned it up and I played a chord, I mean, it was so cheap, it should have just been Spanish guitars that belong on the wall. It'd go out of tune. And then one day I learned how to play Beethoven's Ninth over to Joy on one string and a bit on the other. Mm. Rather than keep tuning the guitar up, I used to yeah, attempt to tune it and then one chord and it'd go out. And come up with these little guitar motifs all the time. So used on about two strings, you know, like on songs like Pulse Speed and things like that. So in the face of adversity and not affording a good guitar at the time, you can find things, you know, anybody out there. You can, it's looking at things in a different way, you know, I suppose as an artist or whatever. So a lot of those riffs, when I eventually met the others and we met from the Buzzcocks, came from having that really bad guitar and just trying to do things on a couple of notes. There's a lot of them, like, and I don't mind this a little bit in one part, but they're like a unique little guitar motif, you know, in each song, mm. almost separate from the song in a way, but... They're like a little tune in themselves. And that, for me, came from those, you know, having that cheap guitar and not being able to keep it in tune, just adapted like that. It was only years later I realised that. I thought, fuck, if I had a good guitar, I wouldn't have come up with that kind of style, mm -hmm. you know? So true. So it just shows anyone out there, you don't have to have a thousand pounders ball. Mm. Or, which goes back to a lot of the thinking in punk. It was, you know, it was more about... A lot of imagination as well as stuff. It wasn't all Sid Vicious getting pissed. <laughs> kind of sparked people's imagination, that two-note riff thing and, and things like that. So 
We always liked a bit of that. Also, when I was 16, I had a hangover. I was staying at my mum's house, and she was vacuuming outside the door. <laughs> I'm going, I've got fucking hangover, mum. Turn that thing off, I'm laying in bed. So I got, I had a nice stereo system, and I recorded it behind the door, banging the door with the hoovers. <laughs> I recorded the white noise, and then I played it back to it at 100 watts or whatever it was. Going, this is what it fucking sounds like on a Sunday morning when well, I've got an angle. And then I listened to it again. I thought, that's kind of white noise. That's <laughs> experimental, you know. So that put me on the track of noises and stuff. A vacuum. <laughs> Thanks, Mom. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. See, Mom. Through my mom, yeah. yeah. Nice job. Have you seen Howard DeVoto? If you reached out to him, you had an opening in the Buzzcocks. Was there, uh, a, you know, an opportunity that uh, maybe Howard might be interested in playing with the, with the band again? Um, no. No. I mean, he didn't even, well, he was booked as a Buzzcocks gig, but then we turned it to Pete Shelley Memorial mm-hmm. because he just died before that gig. And we did ask Howard, and he didn't, he's kind of retired. He didn't, he didn't come to that. And uh, I've not seen him for years. Since he left the band, I've probably seen him maybe three times in my life. He did 10 shows and we did Spiral Scratch. And I, I loved Howard. Very inspiring to me, I think. I, I thought he was a cool dude. He left the band and he formed a magazine, which I thought was great. We couldn't have carried on with him. I think he realised that. I mean, we, we would have done, but it, it's like going back to an old girlfriend. It doesn't work. Somebody said to me recently, would Howard come back? Could you imagine Howard singing ever fall in love? And I don't think so. <laughs> <laughs> Is it weird for you to sing that song? You're not 20 anymore either, but you're singing these songs you wrote when you were when you were that age. And everyone loves it, but the, how, how do you keep it going? You know, keep it fresh. Yeah, I mean, it's kind of weird. I've heard that song all my life, and I'm going, I'm the harmony in my head. I think you never fall in love with it. <laughs> yeah. You know, it used to be a running joke with me and Pete a little bit. You do the loved ones, and I'll do the social ones. I never had them problems with girls. He did. <laughs> yeah. oh. Wow. Well, kind of. Pete, yeah, <laughs> Pete had two options going, so that was yeah. good. <laughs> My bigger pool, yeah, to draw. <laughs> well, <laughs> yeah, yeah. sometimes we used to have a laugh, but I change the word to like trust instead of love, you know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but yeah, singing that song, I know, I know it well, and being northern, I mean, kind of what I did at some point when I started doing this album was, um, I thought. Oh, there's no Pete Shelley. A Buzzcock sounds Pete Shelley, and then Steve Diggle's songs and Pete Shelley's. So I tried to do a bit of dynamic on that. So like a fine whiskey, I tried to blend a bit of Pete Shelley into my voice mm. and find some thing. And sometimes I do it like where I flow into a little bit of Pete Shelley mode, and then I'll flow back into Steve Diggle, and then there's an area where this third voice is coming now. So... There's that as well. So singing Ever Fall in Love is very easy for me, actually, that one. And even I don't mind. Yeah. And even Why Can't I Touch It, which we didn't do that sometimes because Pete couldn't get up the notes up there. <laughs> and now I'm doing I'm thinking, I know what he fucking means. Sometimes it's like, <laughs> whoa, you know. <laughs> but being Northern, I think we've got similar voices in a way, and um, it's not a problem, really. I've managed to kind of find a voice that, kind of works with the Pete Shelley songs because I could easily do an impression <laughs> but then that wouldn't ring true, you know not for me and mm. not perhaps for the audience, but I've found a blend now and there's a little bit on this album, a little bit, sort of bit of both, from my other songs to this album, 
there's a little bit of a blend of other voices in there. So the other phoning up's quite easy, you know. The way I can't touch it, someone, but even Pete used to cancel that sometimes, go, my voice said, right, but that's amazing. <laughs> oh, that's amazing. From the first day of the first rehearsal, I just felt like this band's got something. We kind of had songs, and the band worked right away. It wasn't like, oh, because we'd hear people in other rehearsal room, rooms kind of practicing the opening of a song for hours, you know, they hadn't written them. <laughs> By that time, we'd written a couple of hits, and our goal was we had to be at the pub at five o'clock when they opened. Yeah. So let's get this fucking hit done and let's get to the pub. Which is, I guess, the kind of word like that in the 60s, isn't it? Saying you've got 10 minutes to record this song. and So sometimes having to work quick like that is amazing, you know. And we do that to the pub next minute, you've got it in the charts, and like, fuck, you know. <laughs> It's a good goal. Yeah, right. Well, yeah. by five o'clock, yeah. this is when we have to yeah. finish. It's just Come motivation. On, let's get this done. Yeah. Never mind all that. Let's get it done. The pubs are open. <laughs> that kind of thing, you know. Priorities. But also, I think there's a lot of off the ball work from Pete and myself. It's who you are as people as much as the song, you know. So if he came in with something, I came in with something, it'd be very me or it'd be very him. And then once you got the band on it, that made it into that buzzcocks kind of thing, the buzzcocks mm -hmm. sound and stuff. It was who we are as people rather than learning chords and music and all that kind of stuff. And that was magical. And, it, and it, I think it happened to probably a lot of bands, but it was as soon as we started, the hits kept coming and the songs kept coming. It was, oh, yeah, we've got to do a few new songs. No, what do you say? We've got this one. There. And it was like that can't believe this. If you look on the internet, how I write a song, and it's like, no, we didn't have time of messing about wondering how I write one. Yeah. You just had to write one and get on with it. That's right. Let's get <laughs> on. The pubs were up. <laughs> so there's a lot of that, you know, but a lot of thought internal things yeah. before it comes out. Yeah. And that kind of whirlwind, it does happen with magic bands, I think. You know, a lot of great bands, it's kind of like, wow, it just seems to take off. And I think that's what Buzzcocks were at the beginning. It just went it's like you bought it to give it a plane and it went off yeah i love it i love that you're keeping the, the buzzcocks going the new album is called sonic in the soul and it comes out in september i'm sure we'll see you in the states very soon right looking forward to getting back to the states so you get many things on my facebook and on the social media when you come in the states and it's it's not me it's just waiting for promoters or you know all this post-covid stuff right i think um the few people that have heard sonic's in the soul they that's going down well, and the songs are going down well live there. And most people want me to carry on with it, so carry on, Stephen. I think that's what we're kind of doing. I'm pleased with the album. Somebody said there's no OOs in this one. I said, well, I've got to make a, maybe on the next album, but you don't want it to sound like the last album. Right. You've got to take it on a journey somewhere. I made this album like a pre-70s album, where it's like hopefully a whole meal and experience, hence Sonic's in the soul, a full... Because if you read a book, if you don't get to the end, you don't know what the book's about. You know. Remember back in the 70s, an album used to be a full experience. You, mm -hmm. know? you know, now kind of people, oh, I'll just cherry pick the singles off the internet or whatever. It would be nice to get back to them albums. Yeah. I mean, it's like when you put Bowie's Diamond Dogs on or something. It's a whole meal, isn't it? It's a whole thing. And it used to be a groundbreaking whole meal thing. And I tried to make it a bit like that. So one song relates to the next one or it's kind of maybe a whole experience of 45 minutes or whatever long it is you know all right so I get the vinyl buy the vinyl 
Let's go. Yeah, the vinyl Find will the vinyl. give us that experience. Yeah. You can go back to gardening now or go to the pub. Back I guess you, your, your choice. Yeah, yeah. I don't do any gardening, as you can see, you know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, then back to the pub. All right, yeah, go back to the pub. I might go back to the pub. <laughs> <laughs> On that note, then. There you go. Thank you so much, Thank Steve. You. That was great. Really yeah, wonderful. Absolutely. All right. Well, thanks a lot. Cheers. Have a great day. Yeah. Have a, yeah. Thank you. Thanks, thanks, Steve. You. Take care. Take care. Bye-bye. See you in LA. Yes. For sure. Indeed. So, Steve doesn't have a nickname, does he? He's, uh, he's just Steve Diggle of the Buzzcocks. I want to call him the some sort of godfather of punk, but that's taken. Or uh, Steve Diggle is just uh, an original. Isn't Diggle enough of a name that you don't ha- you don't need a nickname? It is. Yeah, I know, right? It's a great name. You'd think it might be a stage name. It should have been. Yeah, the Buzzcock should have been called the Diggles. <laughs> <laughs> the, the precursor to the Wiggles? Yeah, to the, right. You got the Ramones, you got uh, Diggles. <laughs> Actually, I did watch one of their old videos where they were just singing and playing, and they were all wearing the same outfit. Yeah. Oh, is that, uh, yeah, the, the first single it's ever falling in love? Yeah, they got the white background. They're all bunched together. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, phenomenal. That's what they did. They just kind of jammed together and they play their songs and it's you're in and out in three minutes. That's the beauty of a Buzzcock song. Yeah. Just like the Ramones. Yes. We, we appreciate the punk aesthetic, the, the three minute song. Yes, we do. Another episode wrapped up. Uh, I think it was pretty good. What do you think? You think uh, it's a keeper, Holly? I think it is fantabulous. And on uh, YouTube, you will find extra clips as well, correct? At What Difference Does It Make Podcast and also on our other social media at WDDIM Podcast. A big thank you to Matt Ingham of Cherry Red Records. He helped set up this interview with Steve. And uh, as always, a big thank you to Pantheon Podcast as we are a proud member of their family. And until next week, this is Dave. This is Holly. Check you later. Over and out. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points.